If you, I doubt there are any atheists viewing our program, but if you should happen to see one, wish them a happy holiday. Okay. Also, any other egotist or um, other people? Okay. Uh, for our first message in the day, we do have a, a split sermon from Mr. Ken Barton entitled Happy Atheist Day. Mr. Barton. I would not jump up and cheer. <laughs> it may bring some unwanted. Now, my ears are kind of having fun with me, so I don't know if he told what I'm going to share with you, and I know I've shared it before, but the atheists were upset because they did not have a holiday. They wanted a holiday. You know, there's Christmas, there's Easter, there's Kwanzaa, there's Hanukkah. We want a holiday. And the judge said, you have a holiday. He said, no, we don't. He said, yes, you do. April 1st, April Fool's Day, for the Lord has said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. So when you see one, wish my happy day. <clears throat> And I was just going to read Psalms 14, which I just read the first verse. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. There were all, they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord. They were in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. You have shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When the Lord brings back the captivity of his people or gets rid of it, brings them free, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. <clears throat> this is also repeated in Psalms 53. If you want to check that one out, he actually names uh, the, at least in the, the heading of mine, it names the chief musician. David calls him by name on that one. I looked up the word fool in Esword. It's a wonderful, wonderful tool. <clears throat> fool occurs 73 times in 69 verses. You can tell the verses that I chose to focus on. Then I looked in some of the commentaries on Psalms 14. Matthew Henry's commentary on the whole Bible is, is the name of his commentary. Matthew's commentary on the whole Bible caught my attention, as he calls it, malignant. Since Mr. Henry passed in 1794, I'm thinking he re didn't really know about cancer as we do, but he was right on target, wasn't he? Let me clearly state that I am in no way stating or inferring or hinting this is, that cancer is caused because of sin that it is God's punishment. I am not saying that. I will not say that. 
I think it is one of Satan's ways of trying to destroy God's works. As we'll see, sin works to destroy God's people, to draw them away from God. Matthew Henry's commentary on Psalms 14, 1 through 3 says, If we apply our hearts as Solomon did in Ecclesiastes 7.25, if you want to go there, to search out the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness and madness, these verses will assist us in the search. And they will show us that sin is exceedingly sinful. Sin is the disease of mankind, and it appears here to be malignant and epidemic. According to Google, malignant is an uh, adjective. I always get mixed up on terms of words. <clears throat> malevolent means two things. Malevolent, in the hands of malignant fate. Some synonyms for that being spiteful, malicious, malevolent, vindictive, vengeful. You get the idea. Cruel, unkind. Or two, a malignant disease, meaning virulent, very infectious, invasive, uncontrollable, dangerous, deadly, fatal, incurable, and life-threatening. <clears throat> and he says, see how malignant it is. In Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. In two things... One, the contempt it puts upon the honor of God. For there is something of practical atheism at the bottom of all sin. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We are sometimes tempted to think, surely that there was, never was so much atheism and profaneness as there is in our days. And this is still Mr. Henry speaking. But we see the former days were no better. Even in David's time, there were those who had arrived at such a height of impiety as to deny the bearing being of God and the first and self-evident principles of religion. Observe one, he says, the sinner here described. He's one that says in his heart there is no God. He is an atheist. There is no Elohim, no judge or governor of the world, no providence presiding over the affairs of men. They cannot doubt the being of God, but will question his dominion. He says this in his heart. It is not his judgment, but his imagination. He cannot satisfy himself that there is no God, but he wishes there were none. And pleases himself with the fancy that it's possible there may be none. He cannot be sure there is one, and therefore he's willing to think there is none. He dares not speak it out, lest he be confuted, which I looked up, and that means dispute, uh, disproved. And so undeceived, but he whispers it secretly in his heart. For the silencing of the clamors of his conscience and the emboldening of himself in his evil ways, and to the character of this sinner, he is a fool. He is simple and unwise. <clears throat> and this is an evidence of it. He is wicked and profane. And this is the cause of it. Note, atheistical thoughts are very foolish, wicked thoughts. And they are at the bottom of a great deal of the wickedness in this world. The word of God is a discerner of these thoughts. 
and puts a just brand on them and on, those, on him that harbors them. Nabal is his name, Mr. Henry says, and folly is with him. I don't know if you guys remember Nabal, but when David was hiding out from Saul right after he had cut part of the hem of, of the skirt of Saul out in the cave, was when he was, he and his men were staying in, in Nabal's country, so to speak. And he was taking care of all of Nabal's sheep. He was protecting them from anybody that might show up. As we know, David knew a little bit about being a shepherd. So he was taking care of them. <clears throat> so then, David thinks, well, I've done some good for him. Perhaps he will return the favor. So he sends some people to Nabal and points out what he's done. <clears throat> it's in 1 Samuel 25, if you guys want to look it up. Not right now. But he's asks them for some food. Well, Nabal, this was during sheep shearing time, and apparently they liked to celebrate during that time, and Nabal was drunk. And he was rude to David's men, and he sent them away empty-handed. When they returned and told David about that, David didn't say, oh, well, he's drunk. Don't worry about it. David put on his sword, and 400 of his men put on their swords, and they went to go see Nabal with the full intent of killing him and destroying him completely. His wife Abigail, thankfully, was a little sharper than he was, and she hurried up and ran out ahead of, uh, uh, to meet David and gave him food and sustenance and, and words of, what, objection of, I'm, I'm very sorry. So they didn't kill him. After Nabal had sobered up, she told him what she had done and what he had almost had happened to him. And the scripture says his heart turned to stone and he lived ten more days. <clears throat> Once you look at the disgrace and debasement of, that it, sin puts on the nature of man, sinners are corrupt quite degenerated from what man was in his innocent estate. He says they have become filthy and putrid. All their faculties are so disordered that they have become odious to their maker and utterly incapable of answering the ends of their creation. Think about this. Cancer is a horrible disease and it causes and creates putrid odors. It corrupts our body system. It corrupts our body system so much so that our bodies don't even realize they're sick. One of the first thing a lot of cancers do is destroys your body's ability to detect that it's there. And by the time you actually notice it, most people are in stage four or five, which is pretty much they're done. So the immune system no longer functions, does it? Isn't this kind of what Henry's saying about our ability to recognize sin in our lives? It doesn't function. We don't recognize it. <clears throat> Cancer destroys the ability of our cells to replicate properly. And as it grows, they, the cancer cells replicate on a much faster rate. 
<clears throat> than the regular ones. So then they overwhelm our bodies. Another thing about cancer, many of them stop you feeling the pain. So that's what sin does to our mind. We start doing things we never would have done before. That young woman last week or the week before that was run over by the police, you think she planned on that? You think, oh, this would be good. You think I'll go kill a, try to kill a few people and see if I can destroy my life. <clears throat> Mr. Henry says, they are corrupt indeed. For one, they do no good, but are the unprofitable burdens of the earth. They do God no service, bringing him no honor, nor do themselves any real kindness. Number two, they do a great deal of hurt. They have done abominable works, for such all sinful works are. Sin is an abomination to God. It is that abominable thing which he hates. And sooner or later, it will be so to the sinner. It will be found to be hateful. Maybe too late. Psalm 36, 1, he says, The transgression of the wicked says within my heart, There, there is no fear of God. For his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes until his iniquity is found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He has left off to be wise and to do good. He devises mischief upon his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He abhors not evil. The sinner loses awareness of what he's doing. Then Henry says, an abomination of desolation, that is making desolate. Matthew 24, 15. That's what cancer does. It makes desolate. It destroys bodies. Yet look how many of the things that cause cancer these days are made to look desirable, such as tobacco products, tanning beds. Oh, you get that wonderful, wonderful tan. Might be replaced by yellow jaundice later, depending on what parts of the body systems are destroyed, but no. Satan works hard at making sin look enticing, right? And those who are ensnared by him also engage in trying to recruit more. <clears throat> Back to Mr. Henry. This follows upon their saying, there is no God. For those that profess they know God, but in works deny him, are abominable. And to every good work, reprobate as Titus 1.16 Mr. Henry points out that this disease of sin is so epidemic that the whole race of mankind is infected with it and I can agree with that I don't know if we got the, the, the infection from that fruit of the tree but that's what after that we no longer live forever. But that's what good, that's what God, I'm sorry, found when he looked down on the whole race. There wasn't one. All the children of men had become filthy. So what is there to be done? Is there any hope at all? Should we just give up? Quit trying? That's what Satan wants us to do. And on our own, we don't have much of a chance, do we? Any more than someone that's got serious cancer can just heal themselves. 
We can't do that. <clears throat> but there is hope, isn't there? God can bring changes in us, can't he? If we will turn to him. He's always saying, turn to me, turn to me, turn to me. <clears throat> we have to turn away from the paths of the destroyer to the path of God. We have to tell people, hey, there's a, there's a disease out there, and it's a bad disease that folks aren't even paying attention to. In verses 4 through 7, Henry points out the psalmist endeavors to reach out to convince sinners of the evil and dangerous condition that they're in and to strengthen believers. To the sinners, he tries to get them to recognize their actions. Wickedness, he says, works in iniquity. Sinners work at doing sin. They come up with new ways and they enjoy their work, destroying God's people. They eat them up like bread. Doesn't take much to notice that sinners really strive to destroy those who do well and serve God. Why? Because they hate God and they hate those who serve him. Henry compares them to Joseph's brothers who threw him in the pit and then sat down to eat. They didn't worry about it, Joseph a whole lot, did they? Three, they call not upon the Lord. They don't seek God's face. They don't try to change. They shame the counsel of the poor. They despise the faith that people have in God. It brings to mind a statement that was made about people that... Uh, get bitter and they cling to gun, guns and religion. Some people don't like folks that are religious. People who strive to serve God and who will try to lead others to that way will be attacked as haters. If you try to point out to someone that they're trying to kill themselves in a horrible way, if somebody had told that young lady, you know, you keep going the way you're doing and they're going to kill you, she'd have scoffed at it. Henry says it's folly. They have no knowledge. This is obvious, he says, for if they had any knowledge of God, if they did rightly understand themselves, they would but consider things as men. They would not be so abusive and barbarous as they are to the people of God. There are a danger. There were they, there were they in great fear. They will act as if they have no worries at all. But I think that in their hearts they know and they fear God. They fear a retribution someday. But he points out in the second part of that verse, Psalm 14:5, God is in the generation of the righteous. This gives strength to believers, doesn't it? Where the sinners berate the poor's faith in God, he points out that the Lord is their refuge. Keep the, keep the faith, he is saying. In verse 7, he points out when they are redeemed, when Jesus comes and restores everything, it will be such a wonderful and joyous time. I remember a story Bill Cosby told about Noah and God and the building of the ark. Whenever his neighbors came around and they'd deride him for building that boat, he'd ask them, how long can you tread water? One time in the story, Noah gets a little angry. You know, God comes by and and you know, hey, have you looked in there? Have you seen that mess? Who's going to clean that up? God says, Noah, how long can you tread water? Noah changed his tune. I'm thinking we should never be afraid to help someone to realize that they should seek 
God and change their ways. These days, funds are raised to pay for research to find the causes of cancer and to put an end to them. I mean, they have, uh, what, 5K runs, they have uh, telethons, they, you know, President Nixon declared war on cancer. We're going to eradicate it. So far, it hasn't worked too well. <clears throat> Nobody in their right mind would say that they are a fan of cancer, would they? Sin is a cancer to the soul. I would ask you to get and keep that mindset that sin is a malignancy that destroys lives and nations. All the destruction, all the horrible suffering that is going on in people's lives from that are the effects of sin. Think of that as you study about when Christ comes again. The end times are going to be horrendous, aren't they? But why will they happen? Why do we have to go through this horrible destruction that's coming up? Because of sin. And sin is a cancer. You know, there's, there's some cancers that are very insidious. They're hard, hard to detect, right? You can't find sin with an MRI or a blood test. You can't. Dogs can't smell it on you and alert you. But think of how many that sin is destroyed. It makes cancer look like a piker. It has destroyed complete nations. Peoples are gone because of sin. But God gives us the cure, his son. Believe in him. Believe in Jesus. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. It'd be like Somebody's saying, you know, there's a such and such cure for a specific kind of cancer. All you have to do is go down there. And I, nah. Thank you. Nah. But that cancer will destroy you. That's okay. I don't trust medicine. And there's some things that medicine can do. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that does truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So folks, we all have a cancer. It's called sin. And there's, as far as I know, only one cure. And as far as I know, it is absolutely effective. But you have to come to God.